Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is insuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, it is the Midlife Mail Podcast. Greg Scheinman here with you this week. As always, thank you so much for your support. Greatly appreciate it. Keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star rating, write us a positive review, and each and every one of those things helps us to gain awareness, gain traction, move up the charts, and continue to get great men on the program each and every week. Completely grateful to all of you for the support. Let's jump into it this week. Matt Hesse joins me. Matt is the founder and CEO of Core Jensen. It is a portfolio of health and performance supplement brands that have generated over a half a billion dollars in retail sales, patented technologies, and a unique strategy that includes what he calls, and he gets into this on the show, the virtuous circle, connecting his team, brands, and customers to drive purpose-driven causes, ultimately creating sustainability and growth. He is the creator of Performix Supplements. He is the creator and founder of Performix House, an incredible facility in New York that houses some of the top trainers in the world. And he also is the founder and creator of FitOps, which is an organization, 501c3 organization that helps veterans become personal trainers. We talk a lot about that and his involvement, his motivation, his inspiration to get that going. He is a husband. He is a father. He is an entrepreneur. He is an athlete and he is a philanthropist. And now he is on the Midlife Mail podcast. Let's get into it with Matt Hesse. Matt, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is Monday. We are still on kind of quarantine lockdown. Um, how does your day start? We were chatting a little bit about it before we hit the record button, but tell me through your, take me through your day. How do you start off? <laughs> uh, well, like everybody else, I'm, I'm adjusting and, and uh, uh, adjusting fire and moving, moving out in a different direction now, but I've tried to become um, as, as routine as I can, uh, obviously being at home changes things a little bit. I have a gym in New York city that I've, I, I, I arrived at every morning promptly at six thirty-seven AM and, and did a full two hour sort of morning protocol. And, you know, now I'm at home with a, with a half a year old and a two year old and a wife and, and, uh, a, a retrofitted gym. And so, you know, it's not the same as it was, that's for sure. But, um, there's some silver linings in it. I'm, I'm able to, I'm able to, um, you know, work, uh, in, out in the gym that I work out in. So I kind of float between, uh, the sauna and the, the gym and the cold pool and, 
um, in the morning. And then I jump right into my, into my desk about three feet away. So it's not all bad. I'm getting there. Appreciate that. Let me ask you, there's a lot of talk about essential, you know, right now, what are the essential pieces of, of fitness equipment for you? If there are any, or are you a body weight advocate or, you know, what, what do you, what are your must haves? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm old school and that I need some weight to move. So I, I need a squat rack and a barbell and, you know, a good three or 350, 400 pounds of, of weights to stack on it. I can pretty much do anything I need with that. Um, you know, I, I would say I, I'm sort of a, a combo guy of body weight and heavy weights. Um, I do a ton of EMOMs actually. And you can do a, a really good EMOM with with a barbell and some weights. Um, and for those that don't know what an EMOM is, it's an every minute on the minute kind of um, circuit. And I pick four or five movements. I set my clock to 30 minutes uh, most days, sometimes 45 if I'm feeling frisky and sometimes 20 if I need a little bit something less. Um, but without training partners and a coach, an EMOM just keeps you, keeps you moving without any rest. And so I'll throw... I'll throw uh, a couple hundred pounds in the squat rack and, and then um, set a, a pull-up bar and set a dumbbell station. And then I'll just, I'll go for, for 10 reps on each of those. And in between me moving from, from, uh, from exercise to exercise, I just do uh, planks or mountain climbers. And it, it's a crushing 30 minute workout that, you know, you get a full body uh, session out of, and you don't need anybody motivating you because you're basically just going through, you know, your 30 minutes of, of nonstop work. So I love an EMOM during COVID. <laughs> well, this now solves my Monday afternoon conundrum of what am I going to do? So oh, okay. I'll send you a crush. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I, I got you lined up, man. It's coming your way. Awesome. My pull-up bar just went up the other day, just drilled it into the side of my house. Um, you know, the home, the home gym setup is pretty much complete at this point. So finding those types of workouts, following different people, hearing from people I respect saying, okay, let me just pick this thing out today and see if I can burn through it um, is awesome. So thank you for that. Now I will, uh, now, now I got an idea of what I'm going to do this afternoon. <laughs> so, Good. Yes. Uh, you mentioned upstate, where are you now? Where, where do you live? Where do you spend most of your time? Uh, you mentioned upstate New York. Where are you? Yeah, we're in uh we're in Bedford, New York, and it's um, you know, it's about 45 minutes north of the city and and you know, it's a I'd say it's probably a paradise, you know, compared to being in New York City right now because it's it's just so so docile and and closed out. Um, but you know, this area reminds me where I'm from. I grew up in Nebraska and it it's uh, not rolling cornfields, but it's really green and beautiful up here, and the weather's nice. And um, so, feel I feel blessed and fortunate to have to have some space up here and out in the country. Nice. Uh, where were you raised? Uh, I was raised in a farm town um, in northeastern Nebraska called Crofton. Um, you know, my family my family grew. Uh, my grandparents were there. My father was there. <clears throat> um, we we had a tractor implement dealership, so I learned to turn wrenches on tractors at a, at a young age, and and uh, grew up with goods. You know, small town mid- Midwestern values. Nice. And how is your family dynamic now? You've got young kids. You got your family, and how you were raised. What 
How would you describe that dynamic? Uh, it's, uh, it's actually one of the silver linings of being out here in the country. Um, you know, we, like everybody that lives in New York city, it's, it's, you know, when New York's on, it's on and, and you're going hard. And, um, we bought this place to kind of get away from all that. And, you know, we fortunately had, uh, when COVID hit, we fortunately were able just to come right out here and, and, you know, I've got a two, two and a half year old son and, and every morning he wakes up, says, ride the tractor, ride the four wheeler. He just wants to go outside and, and play. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have that in, in the city. I'd wake up in the morning, go straight to the gym and see him when I got home at night. And so, you know, now I take my coffee, uh, with his, with his, uh, oatmeal in the mornings and, and then we go outside for an hour or two, um, you know, between six and eight and, uh, just do guy stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nice. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your your military background and experience, but first, what was your decision making process, and you know how and why did you gravitate towards the military in the first place? Um, I mean that the the discovery of understanding why that is has been an ever evolving thing for me. Um, I was, I mean, obviously, like many vets, like almost every vet, probably more proud of my service than anything, um, at least outside of my family. And, um, but in, at a young age, I didn't, um, I didn't have the conscious understanding of why I was joining other than um, I needed um, an outlet uh, to get away from where I was. And, um, but as time has gone on, I, I now understand what service is really all about and why you're called to serve. Um, so, but, you know, long, long story short, I had a really, really tough childhood and, and some pretty Trump traumatic, uh, things happened and uh, ironically ran to the military, uh, and found safety and solace there. I was always curious about how people determine which branch of the military they also want to go into, you know, did you evaluate different branches or what was your thought process on that? Uh, I mean, looking back, looking back at it, I don't remember the thought process, but <clears throat> having an understanding of the military now, um, you know, once you're, once you're in, in one branch, <laughs> there's a little migration that goes on, but not, not, not a lot. Uh, and you love, you love the, the service you served in. So I was army, um, you know, I, for all, for all the Marines out there listening, I think you have to have something, a screw, a screw a little bit. Un, un, unscrewed or, or missing to, to go into the Marines. Um, uh, navies, you know, boats are not my thing. Uh, while I like being on them for pleasure, I don't have any, any desire whatsoever to live on one. Um, and, uh, Air Force, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some great MOSs, um, in each of the branches, but, um, you know, I was just, I was just born to be an army guy. And what did you do in the army? What, what was your specialty task assignment? What? So I, I enlisted um, with the with the 13 Bravo, which is an artillery battalion, um, and it's because I was in Wyoming at the time, and that was the um, that was the uh, uh, company I was assigned to. I went to basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is you know home of the Howitzer, uh, which is a big gun that we fire, and then. Um, when I graduated and went to IT, I ended up um, uh, migrating um, to uh, went through school to become an eleven Bravo, which is which is an infantry ground soldier. Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel like in your experience with the military, like from the time you decided to to sign up and you you mentioned some traumatic experiences in your life and that led you to the military, did anything particularly surprise you about your military experience or do you feel that it it delivered to you what you were looking for, you know, at that time of your life and then kind of as you evolved through? Um I think a lot of of young men and women um, are surprised by the uh, level of education they get in the service, and largely that's that it, that education is is um, leadership uh, ability and, and experience and style. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of great things about the military. There's also some challenging things. Um, you know, I grew up in a fairly uh, undisciplined household. Um, not that my my parents were, didn't discipline me, but meaning that the, in terms of, of, um, the way that I was raised, it was not methodical and everything about the military is pretty methodical. And so I think, I think from a leadership perspective, I learned what good leadership looked like. I also saw some not great leaders. Um, but, uh, I think, the the things that I've carried with me and and you know we'll talk about the FedOps Foundation in a few minutes but the the, the things that um, even if your MOS or the job that you did in the military wasn't a job that um, trans, translated to civilian life you you the, the amount of education you get um, relative to seeing really strong leaders um, and being around a strong presence in leadership. Um, that's transferable to any industry. And, and I think that that's a, probably what I took the most from, from the service. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about that transition a little bit. Um, you are 42 now, correct? Yep. And how old were you when you got out of the military? Uh, I went in at 17 and I got out at uh, 22. 22. Did you know what you wanted to do? at 22. Um, and then what, what did you do when you first got out? Uh, I was, I was, I, after I went through basic training, I thought for sure that I I was going to be a career military man because I excelled at it. And it was the first place in my life where I really excelled. Not, not to say that I wasn't good at things. I was good at sports. Um, I was a terrible student. Um, and not because I was stupid, I just didn't apply myself. And, um, when I say apply myself, I just didn't care. I had no reason to care about being a good, a good student. And so, um, but I, I cared about being a good soldier and, um, I went through basic training and graduated the top of my class. I, um, when I got, uh, out of basic training, went to AIT, um, I was infatuated with learning as much as I could about, um, what it meant to be a good soldier and how to, how to train, uh, even harder, um, than the training they put you through. Um, I got a little bit side sidetracked, um, or so, not sidetracked. I think everything happens for a reason, but about a year after I enlisted, my mom got in a really bad car wreck. Um, and you know, I, I grew up taking care of my mom. I had three other brothers who, who, uh, all lived with my father. Um, and I kind of, I kind of gypsied around the country with my mom. Um, and I viewed my job even at eight years old as taking care of her. And so when she got out, uh, when I, when I got, <clears throat> when I left, um, it was hard for me to leave. Um, and then, you know, not too long into it, she got in a car wreck. So, uh, I talked to my command and was able to, um, move over to the reserves and, and 
moved back home and take care of her, um, and started, uh, um, you know, making my, my way in a different direction, not the one I wanted. Um, but you know, I think as, as you connect the dots throughout, throughout this story, you'll see why I, I, I at least now see why exactly that happened and, and what the, the outcome of that was in terms of my future and what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with, was there kind of regret and loss of, of missing the military, but also kind of fulfillment and pride in, in the responsibility that you were taking, you know, with your family and your mom, that's a lot to deal with at 22. I think there is now, like I, I, I now can, I can now see why all those things happen and, and I'm proud of the way that I handled them. But I think like a lot of young men and women who are, um, coming out of traumatic, uh, child childhoods, um, you're sort of just desperate holding on for life and you're not really sure where you're going to end up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit, I would say it's a bit like the compartmentalization that the army teaches you. Um, you know, compartmentalization is the ability and skill to, uh, not, um, let the, your surroundings affect your execution of whatever task um, you're doing. And that can be anything. It could be in combat on the battlefield that can be in life. And when someone's a dick to you, um, and you have a choice to decide how to respond to it, you know, I think I'm a master at compartmentalization. I learned it at, at childhood. It was smashed into everybody in, in training in the military. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of the skills that I think makes you incredibly effective, especially in times of trauma, traumatic, um, times like now it allows you to, um, move forward without any distractions. Mm-hmm. Did you have to work at that time when you got out tw- or were you full-time taking care of your mother and, and focusing on family? I was working, going to school and taking care of her. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And what were you studying at school? Um, I first thought I wanted to be an auto, an auto engineer, um, and design cars. So I went through, uh, automotive technology school, um, and fastly figured out that that was not, while it was a passion of mine, it was not something I wanted to do as a career. Um, and ironically I started, um, I broke my neck wrestling, um, in high school and, um, I started to get into weight training during my rehab and, um, that's really where I really fell in love with, with exercise and what the power of exercise, both from a physical and a mental perspective was. Um, and so I started working at a nutrition store while I was in school and I just became really infatuated with, with, with its ability to heal. And that's, you know, what set me down the career path that I'm currently still on. So let's talk about that. You decide to get involved or, or in, in the supplement, the nutrition and health industry. What was the kind of tipping point moment um, where you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start making product or I'm going to, I'm going to start a business in here. Uh, you know, what made you think you could do it and what, the void you were filling? I'm just fascinated by, by how you went out on your own. I mean, I think one of the things that, um, go, we're, we'll circle back to this, this childhood trauma thing a lot because it's, it's where your, it's where your story starts. I think one of the things that happens, um, and it links up to compartmentalization, um, one, you, you have, um, I think people either go one of two directions. 
when they experience something like that, they either become charged with, with, um, energy or, or, um, uh, a crazed passion to not feel, um, victimized or, uh, you know, not whatever victimized me may mean to somebody, but in terms of chasing success and, and being able to, um, f- figure anything out. You see, there's a ton of leaders out there who are really successful in some, some regards. Um, but I'm, I'm talking about success from a, from a monetary or power perspective. There are a lot of really successful people out there who had really, really bad ch- childhood. And I often believe that that is a result of being fear driven and being able to compartmentalize and go after your objectives because you're so fearful that if you don't achieve them, that the, you know, all the things that you fear are going to happen, happen. And so I think it just, it charges you up to be able to go, go knock that, knock through, knock down walls and go through things. Most people don't think that they can. And so your question around, like, how did I decide to start something? Um, there, there are really times of, of like necessity in life where you just have to figure it out. And I've always been a person that no matter what, put my head down and figured it out. So, um, you know, I saw in, you know, when I was in college, there was a lot of people who would come in, especially for like weight loss type things. It's not, it wasn't just them trying to buy weight loss products. Um, I worked at a GNC store for, for three years while I was in college. Um, but I wanted to help them change their life through designing like a comprehensive program. And so, uh, I did that all through college. Um, I did, I wrote diets for all the athletes at Nebraska. I wrote diets for, um, you know, young, young, old and middle-aged men and women, but all, all coming in for various things. I, I helped women who were going through menopause navigate that. Like I did all that stuff. And it was, it was almost like I was playing doctor. <laughs> um, um, but what I, what I really loved was getting to know my customers and spending time asking them questions about what they wanted out of their life. And then I'd sort of design a program that wasn't just about training. It was even, this is like back in the early two thousands, it was also about like, you know, um, meditation. And so I believe in like a full body, a full body and mind program, not a diet pill, um, for losing weight, but a, a reorientation of your entire lifestyle to lose weight. Mm-hmm. You've touched on on childhood trauma and compartmentalization and and mind body connection, um, and you're you're really outspoken with this too, and really free with with the information. When did you get comfortable? I guess with with being vulnerable, with putting these experiences, you know, out there as a big, strong, you know, army man you know, there. Um, I think a lot of guys struggle with that, you know, with saying, look, I've experienced trauma, you know, or I've had things go wrong um, and showing some weakness and, and vulnerability. When did you become comfortable with this? If, if you are, or at least be comfortable being uncomfortable and still sharing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the power um, in, in sharing um, for yourself and it goes back to loving yourself enough to be able to, to share those things without, you know, worrying about how somebody else is going to take it because ultimately it's your life. And if, if sharing your vulnerabilities helps you navigate your life, makes you feel better and helps you grow and achieve the things that you want out of your life, then, then, you know, screw everybody else. You should share those things. Um, I think as young men and young men, we just, we, we're not taught to be vulnerable. And in fact, ego 
um, even at, you know, at, at an adolescent age, you know, like talking about, you know, 12, 13, 14, when you're starting to develop, um, if you're an amazing athlete, you develop certain, a certain way and people, um, people, uh, give you accolades for how great of an athlete you are, but I don't care how good of an athlete you are. If you're a shitty person, then, then you're not going to be happy in life. Um, so, uh, you, some of those things may hold you up for a while, success professionally, success as an athlete, um, because people will, will give you the praise that you are craving. But if you don't, at the end of the day, love yourself inside and give yourself the, the, um, the confirmation, um, to yourself and do things for you, uh, then, you know, eventually you're, you're going to, um, run out of those people who are praising you and, or at a time when, when things are bad and you need somebody to praise, you're not there. You go and do something stupid to yourself because you just don't care about yourself. And so I think everybody needs to, especially men embrace the power of vulnerability. And, um, and I think that when you do that, it, it change, it'll change, um, your life. You know, John Cena, uh, who we'll talk about, I'm sure in a few minutes is a, is a huge advocate of this. And he, he talks about, um, Brene Brown a lot. She did, she's a social worker slash, um, PhD, uh, who did a, a, a tremendous amount of work on, on discovering the power of vulnerability. Um, and especially how it has affected, um, um, both men and women. But I think, because of ego and because of men's egos, I think it's especially powerful for men. Yeah, she's wonderful um, and well-known, certainly here in Houston, where I am, um, mm-hmm. and has just gone global. Um, with that. You, you mentioned young men, um, and you're 42, I'm 47. It is the Midlife Male podcast. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, what's... Are you still a young man? You know, what do you define as young man? Um, you know, and how are you kind of navigating middle age? If you even think that your forties is, I, I'm curious to get <laughs> your thoughts. Uh, I, I think very little about, about age. The only time I think about it is when I'm like, you know, trying to do something in the gym that I used to be able to do that I can't do now. And it pisses me off, but, um, uh, because I'm, I'm so achievement focused, um, but you know, my mentor Charlie is 87 years old, and he still calls himself a young man. I call him a young man, um, and I think I think that the 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 whole purpose that we're on this earth, um, in my opinion, is is to learn and to evolve and to grow consciousness and to become better and to become more vulnerable and to become more free and to help other people and and all those things are are what. F- like fuel me inside and they make me feel young. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really think about age a whole lot. Um, I'm more of a, I'm not a rear of your mirror. I'm, I'm more out the front window. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about business and, and performance. Take me through the, the progression of kind of how you started your business and, and how how it's evolved? You now have Performance House. Um, I want to get into talking about fit apps a little bit, but let's let's start with Performance and and that company. Sure. So I, uh, while I was in college, worked in a GNC store and spent uh, three years doing that. Um, when I uh, was just about to get out of school, there was a 
uh, a store that became for sale in Kansas and it was in the middle of nowhere and nobody wanted to live there, but it was a good opportunity. And, uh, I saved up some money and, um, got an SBA loan and, and went to Kansas and, and ran, um, that GNC store there, bought it. And, um, basically the same playbook that I had in college, I would work those, I would work that, um, store and, and network with at the university and, create relationships and, you know, those relationships would turn into sales and those sales would turn into uh, the ability to buy more GNC stores. And so I did that for, man, like six years, five and a half, six years. I built up um, 15 of those um, stores. And then uh, in 2007, um, moved to Vail, Colorado, started skiing a little bit, um, still worked the, worked the business, but I was uh, a little bit away from it. Um, and, uh, spent the next two years on what I would call my first sort of soul searching experience of trying to figure out, you know, at that point I was mid to late twenties. Um, and you know, I hadn't yet understood any of the things that I now understand in terms of myself and who I am as a man and what I want out of my life. And, um, so I, I, uh, moved to, um, down to Denver, Colorado, and um, started creating products. Uh, most of the reason that I wanted to get into the supplement industry after working in in nutrition stores was based around what was lacking from the from the industry, and I think the the whole as a whole it still lacks, um, which is most of the companies in the especially at retail. I think D2C companies have a little bit of a different um, experience with their consumer, but most of the retail brands that have been created, um, you know, legacy long-term brands since EAS, I think EAS did this really well, but most of those brands have, have been a pretty sole focus on selling people solutions. Um, and when I say solutions, I mean pills, products, powders, and those aren't really solutions. They're, they're tools or fuel um, to chasing some pursuit that you're, you have. Um, and so I wanted to start a brand that was really built around mindset and purpose and less around, um, selling people, um, magic potions. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really interesting experience because like, unlike most brands in the category, we don't really go sign bodybuilders. And that's really the whole category of supplementation is, at least sports supplementation has been really built around that industry. And I'm sort of an anti, not anti bodybuilder. I just, I, I don't really believe in the, 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 uh, selling pills or, or powders for, for solutions. Uh, I think that those are supports. And so that's why I started to start the company. Mm -hmm. And when you build a company like that around mindset and, and an appeal to, let's say like the, uh, every day, you know, everyday human or, or man or male or female in there. How do you then go from the mindset connection to again the products that you're putting into the marketplace to create that demand still to them? Because you're still selling product, you're just doing it kind of with a different with a different mantra. If that's if that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, I think every, every company puts their, their mission up and their purpose and very few companies are able to stay, um, dedicated to those purposes. Most of them get caught in, and I've been in this situation as well. They get caught in chasing economic 
progress and purpose. Um, and sometimes it's for, it's for survival. I mean, right now, I think a lot of companies are in that position where things have changed drastically. Some have benefited, but most have, have suffered. Um, from COVID. And so, you know, adapting and overcoming this situation, I think, is really critical. And this situation will force some folks to get outside of their comfort zone and find new, um, exciting opportunities. And I think as bad as this thing is, everybody um, was going to learn um, something new about themselves, have a change in their perspective on the world. Um, I actually think in a different way than 9-11 where we all were, sh- were like blunt force trauma into, into like, holy cow, what is, what just happened? I do think that this situation that we're going through now is going to, is going to eventually at the very, at the end of it, have a pretty positive outcome. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you pers- personally on this, as we're talking about supplements, Ab, what do you, what do you take by day or what's important to you having worked in nutrition stores, having had your own brands, being as healthy as you are, what do you find important and what do you take? And then do you have other advice or recommendations to people trying to trying to figure that out for themselves? Because obviously we're, we're not all exactly the same. Yeah, I think it depends on a lot of things, age, um, goals, what your uh, ultimate, you know, purposes long-term in terms of, you know, fitness and what you want. Um, I think the staples of everyone's diet first and foremost are food, um, and understanding what your body needs from like a basal metabolic perspective. So, you know, how many calories in and calories out you need, and then designing, uh, nutrition programs around that to give you the essential nutrients that you need to fuel your body. Supplements, um, were created for that exact reason for, to supplement a good diet. And I think most people, want to take a shortcut straight to, I'm going to uh, take a pill to make me feel not just skinnier, but better about myself. And, you know, I'm sorry to link all the way back to this again, but self-love is not people who, people who love themselves um, and want them, want to give themselves the best thing that they can aren't, aren't shortcutting themselves by eating shitty. And then, and then having, um, a supplement to try to offset it. I think that's just the, the wrong approach to that. And so, you know, I really, I really try to focus on, on providing information out to people that is based on like investing in yourself and in all ways. I don't know if I answered your question, but. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly has there been a highlight moment for you during the performance kind of evolution and growth where you're like, Okay, this is a standout highlight moment. Like we've really done something, something pretty special here. Um, I mean, usually those things are economic wins. Um, uh, people people tend to focus um, their successes around um, you know good outcomes from a from a from a revenue or profitability perspective. I've had goals where I was trying to get the business to. I want to get to fifty million. I want to get to hundred million. Um, I think, I think my, my greatest accomplishment, um, and the thing I'm most proud about is, is probably FitOps. Um, in fact, I know that it's FitOps, uh, in terms of the creation of it and the reason why. Um, but you know, in terms, in terms of, if you're just talking about the business itself, 
Um, you know, when we, when we became GNC's biggest brand, that was a pretty big highlight in terms of, of accomplishment. Um, you know, we represented, I think 12 or 13% of their business, um, at one point and, um, and it was pretty quick. We got there. So mm-hmm. I would say that's probably the, the, the thing that is, um, the most interesting to me uh, in terms of, of highlights. And I definitely want to delve into, into fit ops, but I want to ask you the opposite of the last question also, because it's easy to focus on, on highlights also in there, but particularly for a lot of entrepreneurs, which is you know, lonely and, and stressful um, yeah. and, and daunting. Was there a standout kind of low light moment, you know, or something that happened to you and you said, okay, I don't know how we're going to get through this or I'm going to get through this. or this was unexpected in here. And, and how did you react and, and persevere through that? Yeah. I mean, I think those are the more important questions for sure. So, um, uh, ironically, same sort of same answer. Um, we became GNC's biggest brand. We also became GNC. GNC also became our biggest risk. Um, and I think everyone out there who follows GNC probably knows they've gone through some really hard times and their hard times have become our hard times. Um, you know, at, at one point I think they were, they were 85% of my business. Um, and that was too much concentration was too much. Um, but you know, when you're growing that fast and things all look great, um, you know, it's not that I didn't think about the risk, um, but I mitigated as much as I could and just, and, and put my head down and charge forward. And so, you know, the, the, the hardest time was probably when that bit, when their business went through some very hard times, um, it put me in, in a position where I could have lost the whole business and I had to, um, find ways to succeed through it. And there's, uh, there's not just one thing that I would say, uh, in terms of things that I did that made it, that got us through it. I would say the one, um, undeniable factor that gets an entrepreneur or anybody through a tough time is gritty is grittiness. And when I say grittiness, I mean the, uh, ability to put your head down and push through, grind through, think through, um, you know, and find a solution to the problem. And it may be, sometimes you may do that and still not get what you ultimately wanted, but along the way, I can promise you'll learn all kinds of new things. And one of those new things will take you into a territory that is more, even more successful in terms of however you define success. Um, so while the, while the, the, the time that I went through, um, with, with that was hard it also was probably the most rewarding. And I, I say this to my vets all the time that the hardest times in your life where you're down in the, in the, in the worst shit in the suck, we call it, um, that, that those times are usually where you have the most growth. Um, meaning it's, it's forcing you to shift and it's forcing you to think outside of your box. And, um, you know, I think, I think those times are gifts when you're in them, they do not feel like gifts and you don't want to be in them. That's for sure. But I, I do really believe that they're important important times in your life. So speaking of gifts, let's talk about Performix House a little bit here. Um, kind of a gift of health and wellness. Um, where did the idea come from? What is talk about the the experience of Performix House? Um, and you know, and hopefully when we can all get back at it. Yeah. 
Um, so as I was saying, when we first started talking, one of the things that were most important to me when I was selling someone a supplement was to sell them a whole program, a lifestyle, a, a reimagination of how they looked at themselves and what their goals were. Um, it's really hard to do that in a bottle of pills. And one of the things that I've realized after I, when we, when we grew so fast, but there were millions of customers buying our products that I didn't know. And I hadn't fulfilled the promise to them. Um, that I had set out in the beginning to change their lives through not selling them pills, but to give them solutions and, and motivation and, um, support on, and even help them craft their journey. So about two and a half years ago, um, and I'm going to make the point of what I just said around grittiness and getting through while we were in the midst of the, the, the worst financial situation I had ever been in, um, maybe three years ago, um, we we had just signed a lease in New York City um, to to open our gym. It was you know very expensive uh, lease. Uh, I'll actually give the numbers so that the people that live in the Midwest out there can can uh, be shocked by it. Um, mm-hmm. Our our rent is in Performix House is is over fifty thousand dollars a month um, five zero. So um, and you know it's it's only a 12,000 square foot space, but it's in Manhattan, the richest, um, wealthiest real estate in the world. And, and, you know, so we bit off a big, a big bite. And the whole idea behind Performance House was to, um, connect our brand by allowing the best trainers in the world, um, who live in New York city to train there for free. We wanted them to be able to, um, come there, shoot content, train their clients, Um, and you know, from a, from a delivering on inspiration and aspiration and good training content, um, for my consumer, it was sort of a win-win. Um, but when this, when the, when the economic fallout happened from, from our, our concentration with GNC, it really put a tough, um, put us in a tough position, um, in terms of being able to get it finished and then open it and not have the ability to, um, keep it in the, in the same exact strategy that we had had the whole, the whole idea was born from watching, uh, at, uh, trade shows. I'm sure everyone listening has been to a trade show. Trade shows are where you go experience brands. And it's for, a, for some brands, it's the only time they get to come to life where people can see and interact with them. And I loved trade shows for that reason. But when they end, you go back to normalcy and you aren't able to do that. And so I wanted to create a real life trade show every day where the consumer would get a view in and have tools um, that they, that they were able to use on their journeys through the inspiration and aspirational content that our, our gym put out. And so that's, that's what we did. We opened up um, a brand house and um, we have 40 of the best trainers in New York or arguably some of the best trainers in the world. Um, and they train, their, their clients there and shoot content and live and live the brand every day. That's awesome. Are we going to be able to have trade shows again? <laughs> yeah, I think so, man. I don't, I don't, I'm not, uh, I, I I'm listening to the news the way that everybody else is. And, and I do believe that the world will return back to some sort of normalcy where we can, we can interact. And, you know, it's really interesting. There's, there's, we went through this technology era where, where technology's allowed us to be all apart. You know, we have podcast platforms, we have zoom platforms, we have all these, these tools, phones, smartphones. Um, and these are things that have allowed us to get outside of, um, having to be in contact. 
now we're all in quarantine and we're all sitting here going, man, I, I crave being with people. Um, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. And in fact, I think it's going to make us appreciate it more and it will accelerate our, our path back to, um, back to those types of things. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, this virus, um, as nasty as this little guy is, I think it's, it's going to give us a whole lot of new perspective. And, uh, I do think we'll be back at trade shows at some point. I certainly hope so because like you, I mean, I, when this was all even first starting out, I remember the conversation was about whether Expo West was going to go forward or not go forward. And, you know, we had everything from South by Southwest and Expo. And I go to all of these as well, um, both for business as well as personal. It sounds like, like you, I love walking the floor, seeing different brands, seeing how they differentiate themselves from one another. Um, the ones that are made it, if you will, with the big booths, you know, the ones that are are spending their last $10,000 for a 10 by 10, you know, to get to the show, to, to release their, their new product out there. So I certainly hope we do, because I've learned so much at those shows and met so many great people there that how you get exposed to, to brands and products or and try to learn about the people behind the brands. It's very different if you can't experience them in person like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we, we need to get back to it for sure. I'm, I'm, I miss it too. So let's talk about FitOps now, which is obviously certainly close to your heart. Um, a a passion project, a much needed, uh, much needed organization project. I want to hear how you describe it. Actually tell us what FitOps is and where the inspiration came from and what you're doing with it. Um, well, thanks for giving me the platform to do that. Um, so, you know, as we've talked about the military for me was, was a, um, a really, uh, important time, um, in my life and gave me, um, a lot of, a lot of tools. Um, and I've appreciated those very much when I was, um, when I was going through those things. Um, I started, um, looking for, I wouldn't say purpose beyond, uh, building a business, but I started looking for, for ways to give back, um, to my employees and, um, to our customers and maybe to myself in some ways also, um, in terms of outside of the economics that we chase every day, outside of trying to make money, but all, really trying to impact people, people's lives and make, make, make them better. Um, and you can do that through selling products and you can certainly do that through giving money away. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that I obviously, because of my service care about the most is a veteran community. And, um, and so in 2016, I was exploring different ideas to try to, um, connect our brands. Um, and if our brand is about mental and physical fitness and being driven, um, then, you know, obviously, the, the alignment to, um, to the veteran, um, initiatives that we eventually built, um, was, was pretty apparent. I knew that I wanted to do something in the veteran space. I knew I wanted to do something around fitness and veterans. Um, but I didn't, there didn't need to be, you know, more, um, uh, content around, um, like military workout programs have plenty of that. Um, but there, there is a, a, something that's bothered me for a really long time. And that's, you know, one, 
um, suicide uh, in the veteran um, community is is just there's something about it that touches me at, at a at a really visceral level. And maybe it's maybe I'll explore more and I'll I'll eventually find back some something you know deep down inside that it it, it affects me because I was there at one point. Um, or maybe maybe because I just have such a uh, profound respect. Um, for the men and women who serve our country and a brotherhood uh, and a camaraderie that, that, you know, for me is the most important one in my life. And so, um, you know, as I was building my business and safe in my home and my brothers and sisters were over uh, fighting wars, um, uh, putting their lives on hold and putting their lives at risk and being away from their families, um, I got to the point where I became obsessed with trying to f- fix veteran suicide. Um, and, I was in a place financially that the business was in a place financially um, that it could support it. And so, you know, I uh, had been spending a lot of time reading books, watching, um, uh, listening to podcasts, watching um, documentaries. And it just clicked one day that, that the, the biggest issue the veteran population faces, um, uh, even outside of PTSD, is the loss of purpose to be able to serve again. Um, and when you leave the military, uh, for the entire time you're in the military, even if you don't know it, you are fulfilled by the ability to serve, um, to serve your country, to serve your family, to protect your family. Um, and when you get out, you certainly realize that you've lost it. Um, and so from a, from a feelings perspective, maybe not a consciousness perspective, but something, something's off, something's wrong. And, um, so you come home, let's say you, let's say you serve 10 years, you come home and you don't have, um, a outlet to serve anymore. And, and, you know, there's, there's certainly every reason in the world to take a, take a a breath when you get out of the service and just kind of reorient yourself to figuring out what you're going to do with your life. And it's not dissimilar to coming out of call out of high school and trying to figure out, where you're going to go to school, what you want to do with your life, who you're going to be when you grow up. And, and, but, you know, now take a veteran from 10 years of service, especially veterans. Now, most of them heavily combat deployed and you're, you're, you're asking them to just jump back into civilian life. And most of them have not unpacked or uncompartmentalized all the trauma that they experienced either, either when they were in or potentially like myself when they prior to getting in and they use that compartmentalization skill to keep it in. Um, and so, um, one of the sort of non-negotiables for me was whatever program we created had to be what I call virtuous circle. And that means that it allows them to, to, uh, allows us to give. And then for that give to be given again and again and again, um, and so what, what better way to do that than to transition veterans into becoming personal trainers? Um, because you get, we give them the skill and the certification to be able to go out and serve others. And they can just, you know, do that over and over and over. So the blast radius from that gift is huge. And so, um, I took, you know, 36 vets, what's called a platoon size, um, and flew, uh, all of them at my cost into a boy scout camp that I rented in Dallas, uh, right outside of Dallas. And for a month we lived on the camp and I flew trainers in, I flew experts in and we taught them, um, uh, how to become personal trainers, um, mental, physical, and emotional recalibration, we called it. Um, 
Yeah. So it's equal parts, um, mental training. So getting them the education they need to become awesome personal trainers. Um, we beat the shit out of them physically. Um, meaning they, they work out twice a day, hard workouts, um, which we helps with mental, the mental cognitive, you know, cognitive piece. Um, and then we, uh, at night, um, bring it in around a campfire or, um, in a circle, what we call the circle of tears. And one vet gets up and gives their story each night. And, you know, you asked me at the beginning of the podcast, you know, what, um, when I was able to ever share my, um, my trauma, um, which, which the first time I ever did it was, in, was at that camp in front of 36 other vets. Wow. Can the general public support FitOps and what you're doing now, or is this still something that you, that you're doing anyway on your own? Um, well, I would love to be able to do it all on my own, but it's become so big and the d- demand so high that, um, we definitely need support from others to do it. You know, FitOps is a nonprofit 501c3, um, donating to it gives anybody donating to it, um, the ability to write it off. And, and, you know, that, that structure was important because we didn't want, one of the things that I was really careful of, um, veterans are, are, and, and rightly so worried about people trying to profit from them. Um, uh, trying to use their, what I would say, trade, trade the pity that, that people feel for them for how messed up they think they are, um, for some sort of, you know, gift, uh, some sort of, you know, uh, um, present like, Hey, thanks for serving us. You're, you're all messed up. Here's a, here's a trip to become a personal trainer. I don't view any of our vets as messed up or screwed up. I view them as desperately needing opportunities and desperately needing the ability um, to find their purpose again. And so I think our program is so special because it recalibrates all of those things and it's all wrapped up in a vocational program and puts them right back to work, being able to serve again. Um, So, you know, we, we raised um, last year, John Cena came to camp. Uh, Anybody doesn't know John Cena. He's, He's a very famous uh, wrestler um, who, you know, followed followed The Rock and took took over uh, the WWE um, back in um, I don't know, maybe the early two thousands and just just now starting to transition into into other things. Um, he's a he's a very accomplished actor. The guy plays the piano. Taught himself Mandarin. And he's just a he's an incredible person, incredible human being. Um, but, you know, John came to camp and experienced it and said, and the next day said, man, um, I want to get behind this big, uh, I'm going to, um, not only am I going to put up a million bucks, but I'm going to challenge the public to match it. Um, and that, that dude did it. He went on Ellen DeGeneres. He went on the tonight show, talked about his experience <clears throat> and then, and then, um, the public matched, matched the donation. So we raised a couple million bucks last year, um, which allowed us to start, working our way into building a full-time camp, which we're doing in Arkansas. Um, and essentially it, it will be a full-time, uh, health and wellness transition ranch, um, slash, you know, um, place for vets to come, uh, recalibrate and then go back at it. Really, really fantastic. Uh, and big, big fan of John's big fan of, of what you are doing. Um, just so that I don't forget about this also, uh, where can we find out more information on FitOps? Is there a direct site to go to? 
Yeah, fitops.org. There's a, a little uh, uh, box there that says click watch the full story. Um, and it's John narrating what FitOps is. Um, so yeah, you can go there, check that out. There's, um, you know, there's 2000 vets in the queue right now waiting to go through the program. I've got 300 vets on the ground that have already graduated. Um, you know, we're in the process of setting up a portal so that you can actually book a session with a vet in your area who has been through the program and has, um, uh, graduated as a, uh, what we call a certified veteran fitness operative. Um, so, um, we're not just, you know, giving, we're not just training, um, people to be personal trainers. We're, we're turning these guys into weapons. They're, they're the best of the best. They have all the best curriculum. They have the best education. They're, they're learning from performance house trainers, um, and other experts, you know, John, John comes to, if not every camp pretty close. So they're, they're learning from him. They're, they're, uh, there's a lot of, a, a lot of good in these guys. So booking a session with them is also a way to give. It's a win, a win-win all the way around. So we talked at the very beginning, I think even before, again, we hit the button, you said, look, as long as you don't just blindside me with something, I'll probably good, you know, good to talk about just about anything. Um, I'm going to try not totally to do it, but I do want to ask you, I mean, you do a lot of interviews, you've had a lot of success, you've got these incredibly inspiring businesses and projects and organizations that you're involved with. So you've done a lot of these. Is there anything you want to talk about that you never get asked? You say, you know what? Nobody ever asked me about this and I can't wait. You know, there's something I want to get out, get out there. Is there anything like that? Uh, that, that, that would go back to like thinking about myself, man. I'm not sure I, I do that enough. So thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, yeah, geez. I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of, uh, um, you know, I, maybe I'll say this, you know, what, one of the things we talk about vulnerability and like the, um, uh, the importance of it. Um, you know, if someone, if someone's and you ask me like why it's so important to me that, that why, I'd, why fit ops is so important to me. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the question that, um, I sh- probably should be asking myself more is the question that you asked. Um, what do you want, to people to understand from, from your experience. And you we've sort of out, talked about it from a business perspective. We've talked about it from, um, from the nonprofit fit ops perspective. Um, but just from a human being perspective, um, and going, you know, I, I, I get choked up talking about, about John a lot because, you know, he's impacted my foundation so much and allowed me to, um, to do so much more with it. Um, you know, if, if, if the question is, um, what do I want people to know that they never ask me? I actually want that to spin around and, and for your listeners to ask it of themselves. Um, because I think if, if you don't understand your purpose and what you're doing, um, the big stuff with your life, um, you won't ever feel, in my opinion, um, able to connect truly with, with, um, what you're, what you're capable of and what you could accomplish in your life. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, certain people that I've come across have, have sort of turned that around and, and, and allowed me to see in the mirror, uh, what I was missing, some of the things that I was missing. And so, um, I'm going to, I'm going to screw your question up a little bit and, and turn it around on your listeners and ask them to ask that question themselves, because 
everything that I've done in my life, um, I've been asked <laughs> and, um, I've been, the questions have been asked. Um, and the, the ones that I, the ones that I w- wish would have been asked, um, I, I make sure to find a way to get them asked. And so I can, I can share and grow too. So, uh, sorry if I screwed you. No, you did a fantastic job of that. I mean, the notes that I had, had written down going into this, um, as I'm checking them off, as you're bringing things up in there going, just navigating through this. Um, you did an excellent job of that. And I think you're spot on and absolutely right that people should, should take that look, you know, internally look at themselves, look in the mirror and, and, and know what they want to be asked and what they want to talk about. Yeah, totally. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. All right, guys, Matt, Hesse on the Midlife Mail podcast. Amazing insight from this incredible entrepreneur, husband, father, veteran, athlete, philanthropist. Did I miss anything in there? Uh, we'll just sit there and listen to that. I say, like, man, is that that's all me? I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, the guy is super, super impressive. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And thanks to all your listeners. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't realize that midlife. Uh, podcast was was about midlife. I, I probably would have said I'm not really there because I'm about a quarter way quarter way through my life. But I'm happy to have done the podcast anyway. <laughs> no, well, listen, I appreciate that very much. I mean, the notion behind this uh, really is look that that this next phase of life, wherever it is, should be the best phase that that you're in. We're we're living longer. We're living better. We have experience there to kind of flip this proverbial crisis on its side or, or not get into it at all, or certainly get out of it. You know, if, if you're there, I don't know where midlife is for a lot of people. Um, like you, I tend to not think a lot about, about age. Um, but I'll just, just close on this since you, since you put it there, if it's aspirational, if you're younger and it's aspirational, terrific. If you're right in the thick of it, um, and it's motivational, then that's great too. But just keep living the best life you can. And Matt, I appreciate you for motivating and inspiring um, and contributing to the good of of so many people out there. Um, It was great to have you on, man. Appreciate it, brother. Have a good one. Take care. You've been listening to the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman, presented by Ends Group. Ends Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit endsgroup.net. All right, guys, I want to talk a little bit about Mascot Books. They are one of the country's leading hybrid book publishers, and they can take your big idea and transform it into a print or digital book that matches your voice and vision. Whether your story is one of growth, balance, success, or all of the above, Mascot Books will bring it to life. Head over to mascotbooks.com to learn more. I am a big believer that everybody has a story. Everybody's got a book in them. Not just the athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, risk takers, but everybody. You know you've got an idea for a book. If you do, if you want to put it out there, head on over to mascotbooks.com. These guys are the best in the business. I have known Naren Ariel and his crew at Mascot Books for years. I've had him on the Midlife Mail podcast. Go back and check that out. We've also had a couple of his authors on the show as well. If you've got that story in you, if you want to be an author, you can do it. Mascot Books, 
Mailbag.com. I want to thank these guys for supporting the show, keeping the Midlife Mail movement growing. Mascot Books. Check it out. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Marcus is a connoisseur of anything that's free, so he was happy to read the disclaimer on TurboTax Free Edition. Roughly 37% of taxpayers qualify. Form 1040 and limited credits only. See how at TurboTax.com. <laughs> That's me! File your taxes 100% free with TurboTax Free Edition and get your max refund guaranteed. See if you qualify to file for free at TurboTax.com. See max refund guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees.